this thing will destroy my family if we don't forgive. Think about that. This thing will destroy my family if we don't forgive. Then also he made a statement, and he made so many. He said this, there was hurt, but not hate. Today I'm going to present the fourth sermon in a series that I call Freedom from Your Pain. And you all got it, right? You know the answer and you're going to practice it, right? Did you practice this week with your mate? Did you practice this week with your parents or with your child? Because you see, we all get hurt. And if you ever determine you're not going to get hurt, then what you have to do is become a hermit and get away from people. And even then, you're going to get hurt some other way. The title of my sermon today is, If You Want to Get Better, Then Follow God's Advice. And that's what I'm going to take us to. And that's what I've done every week. Some may not agree with what I say. Some may say, but you don't understand what I'm going through. But I'm going to tell you, the Creator who makes you, made you understands everything about you and I. And He gives us advice. And so if you want to get better, because we all have pain, and if you want freedom from your pain, and if you want to get better, then follow God's advice. And so I'd like you to take your copy of God's Word, your Bible, or take your app and turn to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. The very last chapter. The 50th chapter. I want to spend some time there telling you that story. But before I do, let me just say something about our new church plan. You see, Connection has planted a church. It is to be in our DNA to plant churches. We never, when we talked in our discovery sessions before we launched, we said we're not interested in growing a church where the building grows big. We're interested in growing the kingdom out. And it's been proven churches that are trying to build big churches end up hitting their height and then they just plateau. But churches that start new churches reach people who don't go to church. And so we started a church plant. And it is my hope that I'll be a part in the next two years that we'll start another church plant at a different location. And when we do, we must do it correctly. We don't start a mission. We don't start it like the, the traditional church started. We start it like missional churches are starting it across America. And there are many, many, many successful missional churches. I shouldn't even say across North America. Across the world now. Because we've learned something about starting churches. We've learned something about our DNA. My DNA isn't to be able to go and say we got 500, 700, 800 people coming. That could happen. But if that happens, we ought to be starting very, very many new churches. Because we've got the manpower. We've got the ability to serve. But we've started the church plan at 4.30. And when you start an afternoon church plant, or when you start a church plant, you need to be sure everything's in order. And so we challenged our people after the first couple Sundays, hey, we don't have the atmosphere that we have on Sunday morning because we can't meet people coming in the door with the same presentation. 
And so we need people to cook popcorn. And we need people to come and be greeters. We need somebody to come and help be security. We need to do child care up to two years of age. And you know what happened? People said, we'll do that. And many of them serve on Sunday mornings. And then they come back on Sunday afternoons. Our band, our band basically every week comes back on Sunday afternoon. We have greeters. Many of them have been here on Sunday morning. Some of them haven't. We have, we have security. We have popcorn. We have refreshments. And we're able to let people experience some of what we are doing on Sunday morning. We have child care up to two years of age. Almost every week since we have started this new church plant, almost every week, I don't think there's probably been four weeks, maybe three weeks, that we've not had somebody who's not ever come to connection that has come at 4.30. We have started our church plant. But we have to realize something. If that church plant is to continue to grow, and last Sunday we had more people here. Now we put ropes up so people got to sit up here. We set aside 70 seats. But we had more people here last Sunday than we did when we first began meeting at the airport. It was outstanding. Now this Sunday, it'll go back down. That's going to fluctuate. But it it pumped me up. Because this has to be in Connections DNA or we are not missional. Now I'm going to share with you. We need... To take another step. We need, we need to create child care in the preschool ages from three to five. We need to start a kids rock that will work with two to five kids. Because you see, a key time for young families who do not go to church to come to church can be at 4.30 in the afternoon. Because they're not used to getting everybody up so early in the morning. They've done that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And they want to sleep in. But for that to happen, you see, we have to be the volunteers. We're the ones who plant the church. We're the ones who give ourselves. You who helped start Connection, remember we said we would not launch until we had preschool or child care, we called all that. We would not launch until we were ready to start some home study groups. We would not launch... We said, until some of these things, people said, I'll step up and do. Folks, this church plant is ready. It's ready. Everything's set. We just got to have people who say, I'll give myself. And for some of you, some of you, it means this. It means you've got to look inside. And this service has to come from the inside out. It's not going to come because you say, I know what I'm doing. It's not going to come because you say, I like giving two times on Sunday. It's going to come because from the inside you're going to say, Christ is my Lord. And He gave Himself. And I will now from the inside out give myself. We sang in our song that we sang this phrase, the art of losing myself is bringing you praise. Who will you bring praise to in regard to this new church plant? Now, some of you are going to listen to me and you're going to say, you know, that's what gets me about Mike. He makes me feel guilty. He's always talking to me. 
The easiest thing for Mike and Matt and the band would have been to do two Sunday morning worships. Because you see, this is a crowd. We're at probably 70% capacity. We're right there where a church must think about two services. Easiest thing would be to do back-to-back services and then have Sunday afternoon off. But you see, we talked in our lead team about reaching people, giving another touch. Continental works people from 11 to 11 who can't even come on Sunday morning. And those young families, if they come on at 4.30 in the afternoon, they can't bring their children. Their children have to sit here. We've had some young families come and their kids were in here. And one of the parents, they came a couple weeks, three weeks, one of the parents would have to go out with the kids because the kids get, you know, they're not into this. They're not church folks. And so if that church plant's going to go, it's going to be because we make it successful. God will bring the people if we will serve. And so it's got to be us. That I, the vision caster for connection, it's got to be that I talk to you very serious about this. And you step up. And you look on the inside. What Christ has done for you. And then that works itself out. And so I share with you, we have some needs. If you've looked in your worship handout, and if you, if you would turn there to the center page, 430 need. We, need. we need two people. One or two people, but we'd like to have two. We're trying to put three people in our child care area. For the first, second, head to fifth Sunday, somebody's already contacted me because this was in the community email. They're already working on Sunday afternoon. They said, I'll work the fifth Sunday also. We need somebody to help with the first and second. You can do that. A husband and wife can do that. Two ladies can do that. Two men can do that. We do not try. Listen, one of the things about creating churches in this day and age is that you have to let families feel secure. And so, that's why we do security. It's one of the number one things that families look at now when they go to church who aren't church families. That's why we do security. And some people that bother. You want your kid right away. And you try to cheat. And you try to get in front. And you try to make the workers feel embarrassed. You don't. That's those other people that aren't here today. And so, we don't try to put one worker with children if possible. And so we need, we need people. And we need to think about moving to Kids Rock. We do because families, they're just not going to come back. We've had the illustration already in the afternoon experience. So, I invite you, no, I'm asking you (laughs) to let this DNA be a part of your experience. Because if in and we're, we're getting there. We're getting there financially. we got resources. We ought to start a new church next year or the next year at a different location. I will lead us that way. But we will have to be the people who will, some of us volunteer, and go there and alternate to create the environment so that we can reach the people who aren't going to church. And so... Think about this. Let's make this church plant we have this afternoon at 4.30 a success. 
because we're willing. Start on the inside. What has the Lord done for me? And then to move to service. And there are things that most of us can do to help this. Just talk with me. Be glad for that. Tell you what, let's bow for prayer before we get into the Scriptures. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the encouragement that it, it's been for years. Thousands of years. I thank You for people's lives who have, who have been touched <clears throat> by the story we're going to read. And I pray today that God, our lives will be touched by what You have kept secure for us to hear. Help us, God. Help us to hear what You have kept for us to hear. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. What I'm going to share with you is the conclusion to the story of Joseph. Joseph's story is told through the book of Genesis or basically the last part of the book of Genesis. The 50th chapter basically is the conclusion. And then we move into the book of the Exodus and we learn about Moses. Let me say this before, before we get into the Scriptures. This story, okay, we know this. We know this because this is how humans worked back before there was a lot of writing. Most folks couldn't write. Okay? And most people didn't have things to write with or write on. This story would have been an oral tradition. People who walked with Joseph, talked with Joseph, people who were in Joseph's family, people who knew Joseph would tell this story. And they would tell it again and again and again and again. You see, Moses, Moses who wrote this down, he didn't walk with Joseph. He didn't talk with Joseph. This would have been the story that was told. A lot like oral stories told in your family. And people would use these stories at times encouragement. Here's, here, here's, here's my children. See, back then, before there's the written Bible, because it wasn't written then. Moses wrote the first five books. My two kids get in a fight. One of them is really mad at the other one because the other one mistreated them. And really, the one who's mad is justified because the other mistreated them. And so I'd say, hey kids, come here. Dad wants to talk to you. Or maybe it's my grandchildren. And it, this is how I raised my kids. I'm telling you. I'd just sit. I'd sit out in the grass. If we were at a ball diamond, I'd, I'd just take my kids over to the side and I'd just get on the bleachers, maybe go in the dugout so they feel special. For home, I'd just say, hey, let's sit down. And what I would have done, and what they did back then, I'd say, kids, let me tell you a story. About a, a man that you know about, you know of, named Joseph. I'll stand because some of you can't see me. And they would have known Joseph in the, in the Jewish experience. He was one of those forefathers. <laughs> You'll hear in a little bit, I'll talk about him. He, he saved the family. And then I would have told him the story about Joseph and his behavior toward family members who mistreated him. That had been the oral tradition. I couldn't say, hey, let's look in Genesis, the 50th chapter. Let's see what Joseph did. Or let's say a husband and wife goes to somebody because 
One of them's upset with the other because the other just didn't do what one expected. Or maybe the other did something that was bad. And the person counseling would, would try to help them and then might say, You know of Joseph, right? Yeah. Jewish community. And you tell the story. Oral tradition. You see, this story would have been used thousands of years ago again and again and again. Moses wrote these down. Because God wanted to keep these stories. Because God wants you and I to learn from these stories. This is a good story to tell your sons and daughters when one of them is really out upset at the others. This is a good story for mates to hear. Because mates get mad at mates. Because mates either inadvertently do something that didn't please the mate or on purpose did something to hurt the mate. This is a good story. Our community needs to hear this story. So the story is about Joseph. Here's his summary. Joseph is one of twelve brothers. You know, I can sort of identify it. I'm one of 14 children. 12 who lived out beyond three years of age. Not all brothers. They were seven boys, seven girls. Six boys, six girls left. So this story is a big family. His brothers were jealous of Joseph. They became so jealous of Joseph that it turned to bad behavior. And they began to use deceit and tell lies. Now, if you remember, whenever I talk about Epic Story, I'm going to talk about it because there's a few people who haven't been a part of this series, so I'll, talk, I'll re-talk about Epic Story in a little bit. But in your Epic Story, you tend, you tend to believe lies. You begin making things up. You're always this way when the person always this way. Oh, we can never when never's a long time. So they began using deceit. And they began telling lies. And so what they did, they were so jealous of Joseph that they sold Joseph into slavery. There was a traveling group of people coming through town. And they sold Joseph to those people. And he became a slave to those people. And he was taken to Egypt, 500 miles away from his home. And when in Egypt, Joseph began serving a man who trusted him. You see, because if you read Joseph's life, he wasn't a bad dude. This is a good dude who had bad things happen to him. And he trusted a man, or he served a man who trusted him, and the man put him in charge of his household. So you can say, in a sense, Joseph's second in charge of the man's household. Cream always rises. Okay? And Joseph is the cream type of person, he's a good person. But the man's wife gets attracted to Joseph physically, and she wants to have sex with him. Some of you are going to read this story later today, aren't you? And she, she tries to get him in that position. And he refuses. Well, you know what happens whenever somebody refuses you. She gets mad. And so she goes to her husband and she tells a lie. More lies in Joseph's life. He didn't do anything wrong. This man tried to rape me. And so this man who trusted Joseph has Joseph thrown in prison. Boom! Prison! While in prison, Joseph just seeks to serve the prisoners. I have learned from the Old Testament that whatever situation I find myself in, how good or how bad it is, I am to serve people. 
Even when they can't understand why I'd serve them. Look, Joseph serves people in prison. Because he serves people, one of those people get out and they say something to an important individual and the important individual says something to the head of Egypt, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked Joseph to come before him. And Joseph serves Pharaoh by giving him good advice. And Pharaoh's so impacted that over time, listen, Pharaoh makes Joseph in charge of all of Egypt except below Pharaoh. Just like Joseph was in that household. You see, cream always rises. Servants of God always rise. Oh, they get knocked down. People who truly understand the Lordship of Jesus Christ always rise. Cream always rises. And he's second in charge of all of Egypt. And what happens is there is a hunger that goes throughout the world because the crops won't grow in that part of the world. Into other, as we would call nations, but other peoples of that part of the world. And Egypt becomes very rich because Joseph in his wisdom had put away a lot of grain. And people would come to Egypt and they'd bring their monetary values and they'd give it to Egypt for grain. And in time, Joseph's family has to come to Egypt because they have nothing to eat. The Hebrew people, probably not over a hundred of them. See, that's how small they were. Before they left Egypt, over a million of them. Maybe two million of them. You see, God works. Small things are faithful and they grow. Connection was small. 34, 35 people the first time we ever met at the airport. And it has grown. Our church plant is small. And if people are faithful, it'll grow. And we'll plant churches. And they'll be small. And they'll grow. Well, the Jews grew. But, back to Joseph's family, they don't have food. And so the dad tells the brothers, you've got to go down there and get some food. And I can tell you that, but you can read the story. Eventually, Joseph tells the entire family, just move to Egypt. And because of Joseph's high ranking, they get a good place in Egypt to live. And they have food, and they're going to exist. But, in Egypt, Joseph's father dies. Hmm. Twelve brothers? Eleven deceitful lying brothers who sold one brother into slavery. Now that brother is second in charge of Pharaoh, I mean of Egypt. And as long as dad's around, maybe it'd be okay, but dad dies. And these brothers feared that Joseph would take revenge because of the hurt. And I hope you understand the hurt that happened to him. That wasn't fair, wasn't right, but came into his life. Because whenever we get into the Scripture, I want you to understand, some hurts come into your life. And it may not be fair. And it may not be right. But it's there. So let's look now at the 15th verse of the 50th chapter. Or look on the screen if you don't have your Bible. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brother became fearful. See, I'm not making this up, okay? Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. In other words, they apparently believed 
Because see, they, 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 they live around human beings. They are human beings. And they apparently believe that if somebody gets hurt, somebody's going to hold on to that hurt until they can strike back and get even. Okay? And probably because they're not able to forgive people of hurt because they couldn't forgive Joseph. They got jealous of him. Well, for whatever reason, you can read the story. They probably assumed Joseph's incapable of forgiving us. You see, because they were incapable of forgiving. And often I'm going to tell you, 40 years work with people. It's hard to get people who are incapable of forgiving to forgive other people. It is. And so they probably assumed Joseph was incapable of forgiving because they had hurt him so badly. Look at verse 16. So, they sent this message to Joseph. Now, they're fearful that Joseph's going to retaliate. They don't go to Joseph. They send a message to him. I mean, face to face, boy, you'll have to strike out. Let's just step at a time. You know, baby step, baby step, baby step. So they send a message to Joseph. Okay? Interfere. Listen to me. Interfere always causes us to hold back. Whether we are the one who ought to forgive or we're the one who needs the forgiveness. If I need forgiveness, I say, you know, I need to go tell them I'm sorry. And I say in my mind, I'm going to do that. I pray to God I'm going to do that. And then, you know, on the way home before I get to where Laura's at, I'm going to tell Laura, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then I pull her in the garage and I get out of the car and I'm going to tell her, yes, God, I'm going to tell her. And then I go in the door and she says, hi, how's your day been? And I never even tell her. Because I'm afraid. I don't know how she's going to react. No, no, that's not true now. But I feel that at times. And I went through that at times. I didn't tell her. Or if you're the person to hurt and you want to encounter the person and say, you know, you hurt me. And you say, I'm going to go talk to them. Because you always got to talk. Conversations are always a way to get over through, get past feelings that create a great deal of turmoil. You say, I'm going to go talk to them. You're determined. But then when you see them, because you don't know for sure how it's going to act, interfere, you don't talk to them. And the interfere for either side is the devil working. Because he wants to keep you from having a relationship that God would want you to have. Well, they apparently feel this interfere. And so instead of going to Joseph, they send him a message. And their message says this, Before your father died, he instructed us, verse 17, to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you. For their sin is treating you so, in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. In other words, they use God, they use their father, they use their, their, their heavenly father, and they use their earthly father. To put the pressure on Joseph. And it says, when Joseph received... Wait a minute. Come on. We need to move on. 16 to 17. To say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great, great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly, so we, the servants of God, of your Father, beg you to forgive our sins. Look what happens. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Bible doesn't tell us why he cried. Maybe he cried because they're asking for forgiveness and they've never done that. I wonder if he's crying because he's not retaliated. And they don't see. He's not, he's not wanting to hurt them. See, their fear is he's going to hurt them. 
Their fear is he's going to retaliate. You see, when people won't forgive, they always think it's impossible for you to forgive. People who don't understand serving God, even in bad times, have trouble with people who serve God in bad times. Oh, we'll find out. Your time will come. No. I want to believe he cries. He weeps inside because he's not retaliated at all to them. And why do I think that? Because of what we read on. And we're going to read on. See, Joseph has always been loving and forgiving. And all this time they've been in Egypt, they've lived in fear. All this time, they've lived in emotional fear. Let's go on, verse 18. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down. Now, instead of sending a message, they come to him in person and they threw themselves down before Joseph. You know, this is like the alpha dog and the unalpha dog. What's the, the alpha, what does the non-alpha dog do in the presence of the alpha dog? Lowers its head. Gives indication of submission. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. That's what some of you men do. You become alpha dog in your family and you're going to make sure people know that. Oh, wait a minute. I've been 40 years in this. That's what some of you women do. With even your man, you become alpha dog. You're going to make sure everybody's in submission to you. Well, see, they see Joseph as the alpha dog. And so they come. And they threw themselves down before Joseph. Look what they say. Look, look. We are your slaves. You know, they don't ask forgiveness. See, they still can't understand. That's why I think Joseph was crying. They still can't understand. This guy hasn't retaliated one bit. They can't feel the love of God. And the reason I think they can't, because they don't know to be that way. And so now they're not asking forgiveness. They say, listen, listen, we don't want you to hurt us. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, Hey guys, get up. Don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of me. You know what Joseph is doing? He's trying to remove discomfort. If you were here last week, 2 Corinthians 2 7, I told you, God's word says in the New Testament, if you forgive, you seek the comfort. See, Paul read that. He was a Jewish religious leader. He read the story of Joseph. When he met Christ, he came to understand that comfort because you know he saw Christ on the cross. He didn't see him on the cross. Somebody told him. But when he came to study what people talked about, he saw in his inside Christ on the cross willing to forgive Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. So Paul said, Listen, we are to forgive each other. And when we do, we ought to comfort each other because that's what Christ brought to Paul. That's what he brings to us. But you see, that's what Joseph is bringing to his brothers. If you would go through theological training with someone, or you'd read a theological book that tries to see Christ throughout the Old Testament because He is there again and again. This book is all about Christ. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Christ and what God does. Some people would share that Joseph is an example of Christ. 
before Christ came. So people could understand what God's love does in the relationship of humans. Joseph says, get up guys. Don't be afraid of me. Now look what he says. Am I God that I can punish you? Oh man. This makes you want to cry. This is such a humble position. How arrogant are human beings that they refuse to forgive people who hurt them. Even ex-mates. Or even like that first video, dads who are not good dads to sons. And yet that son's willing to forgive. How arrogant are human beings that they would say, I'm sorry, I won't forgive. When God will forgive. People like that become a little God unto themselves. They're God. They're gods of hate. Joseph so humbles himself. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God? That I can punish you? Verse 20, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Joseph is not saying his brothers aren't responsible for their wrong behavior. Joseph is not even saying you're accountable for your wrong behavior. Joseph is just saying, I've forgiven your wrong behavior. I'm not the judge. I'm not God. I'm not going to punish you. Joseph was trying to see these people with the love that he understood God sees him. That's all Joseph was doing. Now look, verse 20 goes on. He says, He, talking about God, Joseph talking, brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. In other words, guys, life is longer than one event, one deceit, one lie, one bad deed. It's longer than a few days or months in prison. It's longer from years being separated from home. See? He brought me to this position so I could save many lives. Life is about God using each individual to the potential that God has put in them. That's what life is about. That's what, that's what He's sharing with them. I look at all these guys and I see God is, has me here because the clan that I'm a part of has been saved. And not only some of you, but many in our area of land. And so he says in 21, here it is again. No, don't be afraid. And sometimes when somebody needs your forgiveness, you need to tell them again. And you need to tell them again. And you need to tell them again. No, he says, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you. But when you're dead, I'm going to get even with your children. Now, he says, this is, this is out of my life. It's gone. And as long as I have the ability, I will continue to take care of you and your children. And so he reassured, he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. They offered him hate. They offered him deceit. They offered him lies. And he offered him love. Is this boring you? I'm going to tell you what. 
when I got to know Joseph, and I read the 50th chapter, but not the first time. Well, see, I learned this stuff all whenever I was in my 20s when I began reading the Bible on a regular basis. But I have thought with Joseph offering these words in verse 21, don't be afraid. I'm going to continue caring for you. I'm going to continue caring for anything that's associated with you. And I want to reassure you, I will speak kindly to you. Joseph was more like God, Jehovah, than any other time in his life. And I don't always speak kind words, but there's nobody in my family that has not got the amends after the kind words. And maybe I'll get upset with you, but you can be sure, if I know it, I'll come back with some kind words. Because I believe we are not more like God, Jehovah, than when we offer statements and actions that we see here in the 21st verse. But it all comes because we forgive. And so if you have your worship handout, we're going to look through it real quick. Fill in the blanks. First blank. Look on the screen. Fill in that blank. First blank. Look on the screen. Joseph was a person who made a choice to forgive. You see, forgiveness is a choice. That's what it is. God doesn't make you a robot. You say, well, okay, here's a preacher talking to us. I don't have any choice, forgive or not. No, you have a choice. Come on. How many times have you ignored what some preacher has said from the platform? Yeah, thank you. Somebody's honest. May the, may the ceiling fall in on all us bad people. No, 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 that's me too. <laughs> okay? Forgiveness is a choice. Now look on your worship handout. It's not on the screen. You've got to look at your worship handout. They're always out there on the table when you come in. Look at the eight things I have listed about forgiveness. See, forgiveness, number one, forgiveness is for you, not just the offender. Forgiveness will help you. Look at number two. Forgiveness is taking responsibility for how you feel. Most likely, if you don't forgive, you're blaming others. That's part of that epic story. We'll talk about that in a minute. Number three, forgiveness is about your healing. You see, you're caught up in bitterness if you haven't forgiven. I could talk about other feelings, but bitterness is strong. Forgiveness is about your healing. Look at number four. Forgiveness helps you get control over your feelings. If you've got an epic story and you haven't forgiven, you have anger. And I'm going to tell you what happens. Someday that creates, de- some days that creates depression in your life. Oh, I wish I wasn't depressed. Forgive your boss. Forgive your child. Forgive your mate. Forgive yourself. See, number four, forgiveness helps you get control over your feelings because anger comes when we don't forgive. Man, how many times? Makes me so mad. You get angry, then you get depressed. Life's never going to be good for me. Number five, forgiveness can improve your outlook on life. Oh man, it's like the sun came out tomorrow. What's that song? The sun will come out tomorrow. Well, I'll mess it up every time. But five, it improves your outlook. It is. It's like the sun came out. Look at six. Forgiveness is forgetting that something painful happened. In other words, you don't have to relive it again and again and again. Satan will make you want to relive it again and again. People will tell you about it again and again. You don't have to. Forgiveness is forgetting. Something painful happened. I mean, you can't go back and stop it. 
Seven, forgiveness makes it possible to maintain good judgment. I'm going to tell you, people who don't forgive make wrong decisions. They do. And those decisions, now listen, those decisions at first may not hurt them, but it will hurt those they love. And it will hurt that possibility of living God's potential. So in turn, it crashes in on them. And then number eight, forgiveness allows you not to stay stuck in the past. In other words, you can move on. You can move on. See, Joseph was a person who made the choice to forgive. And if you read his story, and you ought to, you'll see he had reason to stay stuck, but he didn't. He kept moving on. He kept remaining faithful to his potential that God had for him. And God kept raising the cream to the top. Even when somebody would knock him down, God kept raising Joseph up. And He will do that to you and I. Now remember what I've talked about in all four of these sermons. Look on the screen. I want to remind you of this. The reason some of us get locked into our problems, something happens that hurts you. Okay, Either you made a wrong choice or somebody else made a wrong choice. Something happens that hurts you. And what you end up doing, we all have things happen to us that hurts us. Okay, And we will take hurt personal. That's just normal. Not telling you you don't take it personal. But we take it too personally. And when I say we take it too personal, I mean we do number three. And number three says, you begin telling yourself, and maybe others, I call it an epic story because it's your classic story. It's the story you talk about that was unfair. It's the story you keep talking about that person and what they did. You keep talking about that family member. You keep talking about that job. You see, you, keep, you make it your epic story. If you remember when I first introduced you to this, or in the second sermon I said it's, it's like the Ten Commandment movie. It, it, it's like the gladiator. It's your epic story. You remember it. And the way you know you've made it too personal is you tell that story. You make that story and you tell it to other people. And in that story, it's always how unfair and wrong it is in your opinion what happened. Now you know you're, you're locked. You're locked in. You're taking things too personal. Joseph did not take what his brothers did too personal. Because if he did, he wouldn't have been the kind of guy he was. And he definitely wouldn't have been the kind of guy we see in the Scriptures. He wouldn't have been able to forgive them. You cannot forgive if you hold on to stories. Because you can say, I forgive you today, but then you tell yourself that story, and then you, again, start harboring those ill feelings. That's why when that story comes back, you say, no, I refuse that devil. I have forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. Boom. Five seconds, five minutes, five hours, five days, you will find freedom from the control of that epic story. You need, you need not to keep telling the epic story. Look on the screen. Look what the next statement says. Telling yourself your epic story again and again only makes you a captive to the hurt of your past. That's what it does. And so you don't want to keep telling yourself, you know, Laura, you never... I got this thing. Laura does not know how to park cars in my garage. Did you catch that? She don't know how to park cars, not in her garage, my garage. She was supposed to be in here, but you know Laura doesn't get to be in here much. She has workers set up and they just don't show up. Or they decide they want to be in here. And so she stays in there. And I ask her when I got, you supposed to be in here today? Yep. I'm glad she's not in here. And that becomes an issue. And I have to work on that constantly. Okay? You see, you get, you get stuck. You become captive to that hurt. If you make that hurt your epic story, please, it's just an illustration to you today. I know, not too long ago, 
She rubbed the side of the garage. Ask her what I said, if she remembers it. And she won't because there was no big deal. I said, guys, I don't know how you do everything you do. Man, I had a great night that night. You think I'm making fun? See, cream rises to the top. You see, that's something I've learned to say to Laura years ago. Ask her if she doesn't hear that. Does Mike really say to you, I don't know how you do everything you do? You see, if you get, you stay with that epic story, you're a captive to that hurt. And you don't like it. Neither do the people around you. Remember, you can either forgive and move on with your life or be tied to the past and the hurt that's there. Look on the screen. Look at this next statement. Does it help your mental well-being to continue living the past in your epic story? You know it doesn't. Okay. I just have to let it go. See? Does it continue? Does it help your mental well-being to continue living the past in your epic story? You know what's amazing? Is that some people say, yeah, I know that, and then you still continue. Living in your hurt of the past. Not any of us has the power, listen, not any of us has the power to change people to do what we want them to do. And if they hurt me, and I want them to change, but I can't control it. That was last week's sermon. Look, I've got to accept the fact I can't change them. But I can forgive them. Matt talked about. You have 100% control of your reaction. You don't have control of what somebody else does. You can forgive the hurt. You can. Did you hear me? You can forgive the hurt that comes into your life. Imagine Joseph. Imagine his hurt. Because you see, I think, I think when we... You, people who've been with me in connection, I, say, I think we read the Bible and we, we just want to get... I want to read the book of Genesis. So I want to get the first chapter done. And I want to get to the end of the second chapter. And I want to get to the end of the book. And so I read it so fast I miss things. But imagine the hurt Joseph must have felt. When his brothers sold him into slavery and he's put in that cart, either tied with a rope or having some doors, some bars, wooden bars or something. Can you imagine the hurt as he's leaving his home? Will I ever see this home again? Can you imagine the hurt as the land begins changing and he sees land he's never saw before and he says, I'll never ever have what I had in the past. Can you imagine the hurt when he's taken into Egypt and these people put him on the block with other slaves and he hears somebody say, I want him! Will I ever be free again? Can you imagine Joseph's hurt when he's taken to that man's house and he begins and probably he's shoveling the manure from the sheep. Whatever the lowest person can do. He's washing the feet of people, which was the average thing of the low servant. Because you'd walk with your sandaled feet, and when you came to the house, somebody had to clean it. If you had servants, the lowest servant. And so you walked in all that stuff out there. You know what they say, don't touch the bottom of your shoes. Well, your, your feet has touched all that, and the servant has to touch your feet. Can you imagine the hurt? Is this my life? Is this how it's going to be for the rest of my life because somebody hurt me? 
Then can you imagine? He becomes second in, underneath that man. He's in charge of the household. But then that woman tells the lie. Can you imagine the uncertainty of the situation? And he's thrown in prison and clang the iron bars. Can you imagine Joseph's hurt? See, because you're going to read this and I'm telling you the story and I'm afraid you're going to leave and you're going to forget this. And you're going to say, your hurt is worse. I'm telling you, it was, it was like another nail in the coffin and another nail in the coffin and another nail in the cross and another nail in the cross and another blow on the body of Christ and another blow on the body of Christ and somebody striking him when they covered his eyes so he couldn't see it and say, yes. Joseph felt those things. Can you imagine the hurt Joseph must have felt? And I'm not making them up. They had to be there. He's human. But he made a choice. And his choice was to forgive. Look on the screen. Look at the next statement. Every one of us has the power to react by forgiving those who have hurt us. You have that power. What will you do with it? Joseph made the choice to forgive. Let's look at the next blank. or the, Not the next blank. This isn't a blank. When you forgive, you decide two things. Once you realize this, this is from my experience with people, what I see happen to them. When they forgive, one is, you decide to assume greater responsibility for how you feel. I'm sorry what your dad did. I'm sorry what your uncle did. I'm sorry what your sister did. I'm sorry what your mom did. I'm sorry what the boss did. I'm sorry what that person you work with did. I'm sorry what that, that person you, you committed yourself in marriage to you did. I'm sorry what your children did. I'm sorry what, what anybody did to you. But when you forgive, you decide to assume great response for how you feel. You can't, you can't go back and change what they did. And two, you decide to take the hurtful actions of others less personally. And life is a lot better. Look, I get hurt. I take it personal. But I don't make an epic story. Forgiveness that amends comes. It comes. That's what you do. Now look on your worship handout. I want to go through the series of those blanks. Look at the next blank. It says, your attention gradually changes from focusing on the hurt to focusing upon the power and self-confidence God gives to those who forgive. I'm going to tell you what happens. When you begin forgiving, you wonder, will it really work out? Will I get the short end of this stick? Will they do it to me again? Will I be able to give over, get over this? Does forgiveness work? I'm going to tell you, the more you forgive, you find, you find power. You find power that you can't believe because you see, that's what God wants us to do. How do I know that? Because He's a forgiving God. Because again, Christ on the cross is the example of that. And so when I work from the inside out understanding what Christ has done for me, and I let that come out, I forgive. I get power. And that power gives me self-confidence. And that's why I can talk to people. I mean, I got a phone call one night when I lived in Albion of a person who lived in Albany, and she called and she said, somebody said you could help me. And I said, who are you? Got to know her. And what she had done is her husband would, would grab her by the hair, set her on fire, burn her body, then sometimes burn her hair. She couldn't put up with it anymore, so she got a revolver. She just went insane and just began firing at him and killed him. I think five bullets, four bullets in his body. And she's having to live with this. That happened like I think three years before. 
Somebody said, you can help me understand how I can get forgiven. Can her husband come back? No. Oh, call me. Call me again. Call me again. Call me again. Every time Satan tries to beat you down. Because I talked about verses in the Bible and that. You see, you don't get the self-confidence until you forgive because it brings the power. And somewhere you find self-confidence that forgiveness, forgiveness can mend any relationship or any hurt. Forgiveness may not mean your ex-mate's going to come back. Forgiveness may not mean your spiteful, rebellious child will come back. Forgiveness does not mean your dad will acknowledge he made the mistake. But you find confidence. And that confidence, that power and confidence in that God gives to those who forgive, God gives it. He does. He gives it. And there's four things that I believe God gives in regard to this power and self-confidence. And they're the next four blanks. Look at them. One, forgiveness is the peace we feel as we cease resentment toward those who hurt us. In other words, you feel better inside. Oh man, I can stand up and tell you how many people have disappointed me in connection. But I, I just forgive them. They got their situation. They got their reason. Forgive them. Maybe there'll be another season and they won't disappoint. And you got people who disappoint you. There's people who probably come to connection for a while and just quit coming because they've been disappointed. They can't forgive. They can't find that peace. Forgiveness is the peace we feel as we cease resentment toward those who hurt us. You see, you feel better inside. Number two, forgiveness, now look at this, is the compassion. Oh, don't let your grandchildren feel your lack of compassion because you won't forgive. See, some of you, this don't even make any difference. You can't remember this. Forgiveness is the compassion we offer as we relate with others who will hurt us. That's where compassion comes from. That's how God empowers us. You want to say to me, no, I can't believe you're telling the truth about some of these things you tell. That's okay. The Bible says, the peace that God comes, in Philippians the fourth chapter, says the peace that God brings, it can't be understood by people who don't know that peace. It can't. And it's written to Christian people. But forgiveness is the compassion we offer as we relate with others who will hurt us. Number three, forgiveness is the grace. The grace that causes us to look around in the midst of hurt and see God's beautiful presence. How can you see God's beautiful presence when you were touched inappropriately, Mike? See? This week, I talked to the person who touched me inappropriately and said, I love you. I love you. I want you to know I long to see you again. See, how can you, how can you offer grace Without forgiveness, you can't. You see, it's being able to see God's beauty. That's what it is. And some of us can't. Look at number four. Forgiveness is the power. Number four. Forgiveness is the power we have to overcome. Now listen to me. Forgiveness is the power to overcome. Now we've got to be careful. Because people who take the Scriptures as a way of positive thinking... They will do this for a day, a week, a month, a few months. I'm going to think positive. I'm going to think positive. I mean, one of my life verses says, Proverbs 4.23, be careful how you think. Your life's shaped by your thoughts. And people who take that as a positive thinking don't even interpret it correctly. 
It's not that I'm going to think positive. Be careful how you think. Your life's shaped by your thoughts. So I've got to be sure my thinking is God's way of thinking. Not as I think is correct, God's way of thinking. That shapes my life. See, this is forgiveness is a power we have. No, 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 no. Go back to number four, please. Forgiveness is, forgiveness, no, the next one. Thank you. You're trying hard, so am I. Forgiveness is the power we have to overcome. You see, forgiveness is that power. It's not your power. That's what you've got to understand. Oh, I'm able to forgive people. Aren't I powerful? No. I don't want to forgive. Believe me, I want to get even sometime. I really want to tell people to disappoint me how I feel sometime. And I'm sorry. If Laura was in here, sometimes I do. And I have to make Amends. It's God's power. Forgiveness brings about God's power, not your power. That's why the slide earlier, when you forgive, it begins to build that power and it gives you self-confidence. And you almost believe you could forgive anything. And now we read about Christians in the New Testament and Christians in history, Christians who were killed because they just said Jesus Christ is Lord. And in their dying moments, they're asking God to forgive the people who are killing Him. Why? Because you see, from the inside, they see Christ on the cross. And they allow it to come out. And they serve God with those statements which have become our stories. And your family... Your family will know this power if you forgive. They'll see it in you. And they'll learn. And maybe now you've got some immature people in your family. Well, you just keep forgiving and let God demonstrate this power. And maybe one day, they'll overcome their hurt as they remember how mom or dad or brother or sister practiced forgiveness as God said. You see, we can only overcome our hurtful experiences by what God says. By His Word. By the Bible. And the Bible says this. Look on the screen. This is what the Bible says. Jesus spoke these words. This is from the Message Bible, so it's not like the New Living Translation. But look what what Jesus said. Just look up here. Jesus said, and when you assume the posture of prayer, probably all of us pray. Okay? He says, when you assume the posture of prayer, whether that's standing, sitting, on your knees, laying face down, driving your car, when you assume the posture of prayer, remember that it's not all asking. Hmm, this is the Lord. If you have anything against someone, see, God looks at our prayers and He sees. It's not all about asking to God. Well, I don't have time to talk about this hurt. It's not all about asking. He says, and when you pray, if you have anything against someone, Forgive. Only then will your heavenly Father be inclined to also wipe your slate clean of sins. People who don't forgive go to God in prayer with a dirty slate. That's what Jesus is saying. So remember, when you pray, the epic story is still about your mom or your dad, your uncle, your aunt, your brother, your sister, that man or that woman, your child. Jesus says, if you come to God in prayer, remember, you got something against somebody, you got to forgive them. Because your slate's not clean before God. 
Your forgiveness. Your willingness to offer forgiveness. Because, listen, you know the Christ who gave His life and forgave. From the inside, that works out. And you forgive others. And God will clean your slate. And oh, how fresh and free that is from the pain so many feel. Now at this time, whatever hurt you've experienced, I challenge you to let it go. Forgive. Forgive. And I believe you can only do it on an ongoing, regular basis and forgive and not bring it up again by following Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. And let's just be honest. Some of us have walked the aisles and some of us have been baptized. But Christ is not Lord. And it's very evident because we know when it comes to serving Christ and serving ourselves, well, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm going to go to heaven with you. And when I talk about service, I'm not talking about working in child care. I'm talking about service to God. When it comes to serving God or serving self, we all sometimes will say, I'm sorry, God, I'm going to serve myself. But we know that it's becoming our way of life. Again. If Christ is not Lord, today He can be Lord. If you will turn to God and say, God, I want to repent. I want to repent of living life my way. I'm sorry. Bible calls that sin. It's not God's way, it's your way. I'm sorry, God. And I'm turning to Christ who died on the cross for me for my sins to be my Lord. And I'm going to seek to follow Him. Understand, there's immature followers and mature followers. If you're a mature follower, you were an immature follower one day. We all are somewhere between immature and mature. But you know, if you're a follower of Christ, this sermon's connecting with you. Because Jesus has said, you got something against somebody? Forgive them. But if it's not, then you need to turn to Christ as Lord. You need to repent of going life your way. You need to turn to God and say, I believe Jesus died on a cross for me. I want Him to be Lord, and I'm going to follow Him. And you do that. You do that. And today I challenge you. If Christ is not the Lord of your life, in your mind, you talk to God about that. Or you go out in your car. As one guy told me that I'd been mentoring for a few months, he went out in his car hardies after our meeting. Because the next meeting he says, I've asked Jesus to be Lord of my life. I said, when did it happen? After we met, I went out in the car. And I prayed in the parking lot here at Hardy's. You can do that in this parking lot. I invite you to receive Christ as Lord of your life. Let's bow together for prayer and then we're finished. Father, I thank You for this time with these people. I thank You for the oral tradition of the story of Joseph that must have helped many, many Hebrew people. And I thank You for the way it's helped me and I hope God today for the way it's helped many many Christian people today. and Father, I pray that for those who are not Christian, who are not followers of Jesus, that today would be the day of decision. That today, they would get serious with You and turn to the only one who can make possible for them to live their potential as You intended. 
And God, I ask these things for your glory. Amen.